the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Friday, the eighth morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. The first Friday of Lent, by the way, of course, so make sure if you are uh, of the Catholic faith that you stay away from the meat today. I actually messed up on Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Two days ago, I actually messed up literally at the very start of Lent. Uh, I was doing the Hugh Hewitt show before I was doing this show, and in between the two shows, I ran down and grabbed something that I shouldn't have, uh, breakfast sausage. Not a good idea to do on the first day of Lent. Uh, hopefully God understands I didn't uh, remember it in time. <laughs> Today, I remember there will be no, uh, there will be no breakfast sausage uh, when we're done with the show today. Uh, but at any rate, uh, thank you so much for joining us. A couple of great guests coming up this morning. The new congressman, a freshman congressman in Ohio's 16th congressional district. That's right. He, of course, took the place of Congressman Jim Renacci, who left that post and ran for the United States Senate. Anthony Gonzalez will be joining us uh, at about um, 9.35, about a half an hour from now, a little less than that, as uh, we discuss the biggest news and the stories of the day on Capitol Hill, and we'll get to that in just a second. Then at 10.35... We are going to be speaking with uh, Eric Ruark from uh, Numbers USA. Um, we got a problem. We got a problem with our immigration system in this country and our immigration plans in this country, and he is going to discuss this with us. Numbers USA is one of the best uh, groups working to limit and to try to stop illegal immigration in this country, but also very, very prominent in trying to control and to offer suggestions on what is reasonable sound and um we'll stop there reasonable and sound legal immigration into the united states as well and eric is going to talk to us about what's going on in the white house because the president of the united states the champion of trying to get immigration in this country under control has flip-flopped literally flip-flopped uh i mean john Kerry would be proud of this one and we try we need to try to figure out why we need to try to figure out and understand uh, what the president's reasoning is here. The president is calling for more legal immigration just about one year after pushing to cut it significantly. Literally a year ago, the president was telling us what he has told us since 2015, that we have to get a handle on all immigration into this country, legal and illegal. Now, it's a complete role reversal. Uh, it's a flip-flop, saying he now wants to expand legal immigration into this country in a massive way. This is a problem for two reasons. Number one, um, we are being crushed at the border with illegal immigration, absolutely demolished. We are in a place right now where the pace is for more illegal crossings to happen in 2019 than we have seen in any single year in the last 12 years. It is truly what the president has called it, a national emergency. He's right. So while the president is busy being right about illegal immigration on the border, he then has pivoted and said, despite the fact that thousands and thousands and thousands of illegals are rushing our border, we want to increase the amount of the number of legals coming into the border, which brings us to or coming into the country, 
Which brings us to point number two on this. We do not need to be adding more workers to the the uh, uh, population of the United States competing with American citizens who are still looking for their good jobs. And how do we know that's really important? Because about a half an hour ago, the jobs report for February came out. The job numbers um, obviously come out the first Friday of every month, and they tell us what happened in the last month. This was the prediction for the month of February. We should get this out there. This was the prediction from The Economist in the month of February. Economist surveyed by the Wall Street Journal are forecasting that employers added 180,000 jobs for the month, while the unemployment rate ticks down to 3.9%. That was the the prediction was 180,000 jobs added, and why not? Because in January and in December and in November, I mean, the president has been enjoying tremendous success in helping to create um, great job opportunities and a climate of great job opportunities for uh, for American workers. It's been spectacular. It's been one of the president's finest achievements. Unemployment down at uh, record lows for uh, blacks and for Latinos and for Asians and for women and for uh, all kinds of other demographics. Uh, the overall unemployment rate, the lowest we have seen in decades. So the president, deservedly taking credit for that, uh, so why wouldn't we expect 180,000 more jobs to be created in February, right? But the problem is, we didn't get 180,000. That expectation of 180,000 jobs created in February, continuing the massive jobs growth here, well, it was off by just a little. 20,000 jobs were created in the month of February, 25,000 in the private sector. The government sector lost 5,000 jobs. The unemployment rate dropped to 3.8%, down two-tenths of a percent. Uh, The number of unemployed fell to 6.2 million. That's down 300,000. So expecting 180,000 were the economists. Instead, we only got 20,000. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know what that means. I'm not going to pretend to be able to understand how and why the projections could have been off by 160,000 jobs. And I'm not going to panic here and say this is an indication of things to come. Not at all. We have enjoyed such massive job growth over the course of the last two years under President Trump and better paying jobs than ever were created under President Obama because the president waved that magic wand that he talked about, or that Obama kind of mocked him about, and uh, brought manufacturing jobs back to the United States, which is why um, uh, wages are are increasing at a rate higher than they have in over 10 years. So uh, we've had massive growth. You might just say this month was a bit of a market correction, if you will. Maybe February was just a correction, you know, not as many gains, not indicative of things to come, but just kind of a blip on the radar. And next month we'll get a new report for March that's going to be right back into the, uh, you know, the fantastic numbers that we have seen. So I, I can't explain why because I'm not that guy. I'm not that economist. I'm not that fluent in it. But it is something that's going to freak a lot of people out today. Only 20,000 jobs were created. Why do I bring that up now? Because, again, the President of the United States is calling for more foreign workers to flood into this country legally. Now, is that better than illegally? Duh, of course it is. Yeah. Nobody's saying that legal immigration on its face is bad. It's what we have always said. If you want to come to this country, get in line, come here legally, and we will welcome you. 
Just don't try to do it illegally. I stand by that that remark in that characterization. We do. We welcome legal immigrants to this country. However, we have to do so at a reasonable rate. We can't just say, everybody, go ahead and apply and do it legally, and we will bring everybody in all at once. Sometimes we can be in danger of being at... Um, a, a, a place where we cannot absorb everybody at one time. And that's why sometimes we slow the pace of legal admissions to the United States. And sometimes we open it up a little bit more widely and we uh, speed it up just based on population and demographics. Well, the president just a year ago said, slow it way the heck down. We cannot bring in so many legal immigrants right now. We have to deal with illegal immigration. And I agreed with him. Now here we are in in March of 2019 the number of illegal immigrants coming across the border is exploding far more than we have had uh in like I told you the pace is than we've had in 12 years and the president saying that's okay don't worry about all those people coming we want more foreign workers to come into the United States even as the southern border is overrun more foreign workers to come in legally to take american jobs that could otherwise go to sidelined U.S. workers. There are a lot of workers, again, who are still looking for that right job, that well-paying job, and now they're going to bring in foreign workers that um, that could very well compete with them and take them from them. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. Lou Dobbs on Fox is one of um, President Trump's, I think, strongest supporters um, on just about everything. You know, he's probably second only to Sean Hannity on Fox and in conservative news on television, cable news. Probably only second to Sean Hannity in really uh, being the president's strongest cheerleader and supporter. And so when you hear Lou Dobbs expressing great concern over what has, do- what has uh, uh, you know, been called for here by the president, you know we have a problem. You know we have an issue. And Lou Dobbs did exactly that on his uh, his program, proclaiming that the Trump White House has lost its way. Tonight, I'd like to share a few thoughts, however, about what I fear is a new direction for the president and his administration, and what could very likely be a catastrophe for our working men and women, small business and entrepreneurs, our middle class, the American family, the very people this president has represented from the moment he announced he would run for the presidency. Now, I try never to overstate, let alone indulge in hyperbole, but what we watch unfold today at the White House was to me a disastrous policy turn and heartbreaking. What the White House built is a meeting of major corporate CEOs who will serve on the president's workforce advisory board. That board to be co-chaired by presidential advisor Ivanka Trump and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Uh, Their purpose, their concerns, here's the president on both issues. We're going to have a lot of people coming into the country. We want a lot of people coming in, and uh, we need it. We want to have the companies uh, grow, and the only way they're going to grow is if we give them the, the workers. And the only way we're going to have the workers is to do exactly what we're doing. To be clear, the presence of the Chamber of Commerce president, Tom Donahue, is impossible to misinterpret. 
D.C.'s biggest lobbyist wants to reverse the direction of rising labor costs and return to the cheap labor policies of the 20 years that preceded the Trump presidency. I don't even know why this White House would let him in the door. He is the enemy of this administration and absolutely uh, tries to uh, reverse every policy uh, in business and economics uh, that this president has advanced. The White House could only muster, by the way, seven corporate CEOs for this big event. In what should have been a reminder to the president's advisors and counselors that in politics as in life, it is important to never forget who your friends are. And if this White House thinks that listening to the beguiling prattle of Tim Cook, Tom Donahue, rhino senators like Susan Collins is helpful to this president, then the battle for the forgotten man and woman in this country will be decided by the very establishment this president ran against. An establishment that spends vast sums of money and energy every single day trying to destroy him and his policies and his historic presidency. That Mr. Trump would advance the interest of the globalist elites ahead of our citizens would be a tragic reversal on any day. But today, on the same day, the Commerce Department reported the United States had the largest trade deficit in our history. The same day, the president of the New York Fed said straightforwardly, economic growth is slowing, that the southern border is being overrun by record numbers of illegal immigrants. It all means the White House has simply lost its way. Those words coming from somebody on CNN, we would dismiss. Those words coming from somebody on MSNBC, we would just say, oh, that's just more uh, leftist propaganda. Those words coming from Lou Dobbs on Fox News, who has been one of the president's strongest defenders and supporters and champions, should give us all pause, should give us all a reason to say, all right, what's going on? Why is the president listening to these people in the establishment part of the swamp, if you will, why is he listening to them now instead of those who helped put him where he is? It's a legitimate question and one we have to discuss today. It's 921. We'll take a time out here. We'll check your traffic. We're going to come back and talk about this unbelievable, abysmal, reprehensible, disgusting resolution passed yesterday by House Democrats and far too many Republicans refusing to condemn anti-Semitism specifically and refusing to condemn a Muslim representative who hates Jews, instead whitewashing all things as being hateful. That story coming up next right here on AM 1420 The Station. So we knew it was coming because we talked about this on yesterday's program at length. We knew what they were going to do. The Democrats have no spines. The Democrats have no principles. They have no integrity. And yesterday they just proved it. After Minnesota Democrat Ilhan Omar made comments, Jewish groups and lawmakers said repeated anti-Semitic tropes, a resolution was drafted. Omar was not named and wording was added to also condemn anti-Muslim bias and condemnation of bigotry and hate targeting many other racial and religious minorities. Something that is one resolution addressing these, these forms of hatred not mentioning her name because it's not about her. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and every Democrat voted yes. Most Republicans did too, but nearly two dozen voted no, arguing the resolution was watered down and failed to properly condemn anti-Semitism from a House colleague. Which is exactly what the purpose of this was and exactly what the problem was. Why? 
wouldn't they name her specifically? The entire reason for the resolution is her repeated anti-Jew and anti-Israel statements. She is a Jew hater. She is not somebody who is misspeaking. She's not somebody who is struggling to understand. She hates Jews. And she has made it clear, going as far back on her record as 2012. White House uh, advisor Kellyanne Conway uh, said Ilhad Omar should own her words. And Nancy Pelosi should stop trying to provide cover for her. Apparently this is not what Representative um, Omar said it's what she believes and if she believes that she ought to just own up to it and stop pretending i guess pelosi speaker pelosi today couldn't decide whether omar is an anti-semite or if she's stupid since she said well she really didn't know what she was saying she really didn't understand the the import of the word so which is it is she anti-semitic or she just doesn't know what she's saying and if she doesn't know what she's saying what she's saying why is she on the foreign affairs committee why is she in congress at all that's even a better question here um, Jew, Jews and non-Jews alike are reacting to this unbelievable statement uh, or about yesterday by the House, which was passed overwhelmingly. There were only 23 Republicans who didn't vote for this resolution. Uh, the rest of them felt shamed into voting for it because if they didn't, they're going to be attacked, which they are, for not voting uh, yes on an anti-bigotry bill. But 23 of them stood up and said, no, I'm not going to vote for this, not because we support bigotry, but because this doesn't specifically address Ilhan Omar, freshman Democrat who is being loved and hugged and rallied around and supported by demon rats all over Capitol Hill, despite her clear anti-Jewish bias, her anti-Israel statements, her anti-Semitism run wild, and the Democrats won't condemn it. Why won't the Democrats condemn it? I think we all know. Because sadly, far too large a percentage of the Jewish population in the United States of America still votes Democrat. And to that Jewish population, I ask you, what in the world are you thinking? Freshman Congressional Representative Anthony Gonzalez joins us next right here on AIM1420.com. 9.35 as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. So the Democrats uh, proposed and helped pass by an overwhelming majority a ridiculous bill saying bad things are bad. All things that are bad are really bad, and we condemn bad things, all bad things. What they didn't do was specifically identify something that is really bad that is a, uh, an issue of the moment, and that is anti-Semitism being practiced by a freshman member of Congress. Representative Ilad Omar of the Islamic Caliphate of Minnesota literally has continued to be anti-Semitic and anti-Israel really on the public stage for about, since about 2012. But now that she is actually in the House of Representatives, it is getting a lot more attention. And despite growing calls for Democrats to condemn her and to condemn anti-Semitism, they said, no, we'll just condemn all things that are bad. That way we can lump Donald Trump and the Republicans into it as well. That is the nature of this 116th Congress, and one member of that is freshman Anthony Gonzalez, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Bob? I'm good. Uh, but, boy, i got to tell you, there, there is a real contrast in styles, uh, Congressman. Um, I, I was just looking at your Twitter feed before uh, I brought you on, and... Um, Noting how how very very low key and very very quiet you are compared to some of your freshman colleagues like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and these others, they seem to be living 
on social media and trying to gain as much spotlight as possible. Can you tell me how you have uh, strategized, um, you know, your first year in Congress here? Because, again, you're not you're, it seems like you're keeping your head down, learning the job and trying to get things done rather than trying to be sensationalistic the way some of your colleagues are. Yeah, I, I appreciate you calling that out. You know, I think uh, one thing that that you're told when you get to Congress is there are show horses and there are workhorses. There are people who are here to do the job and there are people who are here to, to be on television, essentially. Uh, and I want to be a workhorse. And you got to be a little bit of both, right? you got to get your message out. You have to campaign. You have to do all those things. So there's, there's a balance there. Uh, but if we're spending all of our time fighting social media battles as opposed to doing the people's work, which is what I'm here to do, uh, then we are completely distracted. And I think, uh, you know, the bill yesterday is a, is a perfect, the resolution yesterday is a, is a perfect example uh, of what that looks like when it plays out on the national stage. I was embarrassed that we were even, we were even there to talk about this again. I mean, this is the second time since I've been in Congress that we've had this exact discussion on the House floor. Uh, it's It's embarrassing. Yeah, and uh, first of all, I really appreciate and respect what you're doing, uh, what you just said. You're being a workhorse and not being a show horse, and that's good. However, sometimes statements need to be made, I guess, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying you, you know, you're required or compelled to issue a statement on Ilhad Omar, but I think every representative who does have a microphone put in front of their face uh, is is uh, being asked that. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a statement on on uh, what the, and you just said it was reprehensible what they did yesterday, and I agree, but do you have a statement specifically on the anti-Semitic and anti-Israel remarks of your colleague from Minnesota and do you think that the Democrats are doing enough to keep, um, oh, I don't even know if I can find the right word, just uh, civil political discourse going on the Hill? Yeah, it's a great question. It's an important question. I mean, I think there are, there are certain things that should be really, really easy for any member of Congress uh, to say. One of them is that anti-Semitism is always wrong and that any member of Congress that is promoting it uh, should probably be stripped of committees. Uh, I think that's especially one like foreign affairs. And so, um, like I said, I, I was embarrassed by the comments as a member of this body. Uh, I think we need to come into this this job with a a perspective that, quite frankly, just respects the dignity of every individual in this country. And, and those comments, those anti-Semitic comments, undermine the very foundation around which our, our nation was built. Uh, and so my hope is that this is the last time that we will be asked to uh, to vote on something like this, but I think your your analysis was spot on, which was you know all this bill did, all this resolution did was just lump every bad thing that we can think of into one resolution so that we condemn bad things. So you know left out uh, the you know we should be condemning. I mean it was it was farcical, right? Like we, where was the the clause on uh, people who kick puppies or people who are mean to cats <laughs> or you know it's like what what are we doing? Um, we're just lumping every single thing that we can think of uh, that's bad, taking cheap shots at at Republicans when what we should actually be doing is focusing on the fact that we had a member of Congress, an individual member of Congress make another set of anti-Semitic attacks. And that's what we should have been focused on. That's what we should have been talking about. And instead, we were, uh, you know, having resolutions introduced, pulled back, and then reintroduced at the last second, uh, just so that we could continue lumping things in. It was it was a joke. We are talking with Anthony Gonzalez, Ohio's 16th district, uh, district congressional district representative, rather. Uh, very, very well said, and, and that is what needs to be focused on. Let me ask you this bigger picture, though, uh, Congressman. Do you expect to be able to get anything done 
uh, in these two years, your two, your first two years, your first term. And when I say you, I don't mean you. I mean the Congress. I mean the, the Republicans in particular, because one of the first things that we saw happen here is that the Oversight Committee has decided to call some 81 people to testify or provide statements or provide documentation about various things. Nancy Pelosi was asked uh, uh, yesterday, uh, what evidence that she has or they have to justify this massive oversight investigation that's being launched. And she said the evidence that we have is what we'll gather from doing the investigation. In other words, they have nothing. They are literally looking for a needle in a haystack. They are blindly searching for some kind of crime rather than having a crime that they know has been committed and searching for uh, the solution to it. Uh, it sounds like you're going to be spending two years doing investigation and no legislation. Well, that's uh, that's the fear, right? And I think again, you've highlighted it. Um, you know, I'll tell you what what I'm doing, and and I do think we'll be able to get some legislation done. Now, you know, we have to be aware of the fact that we as Republicans are not in the majority of the House, so it's not going to be our agenda, right? That's going to be pushed. It's going to be these these investigations and and the Green New Deal and all this other uh, nonsense that uh, that's going on. Um, so. What I've been doing is focusing on on the handful of things that that we probably should all agree on. Uh, like I introduced my first bill last week, the Fallen Warrior Battlefield Cross Memorial Act. Uh, my predecessor Jim Renacci first introduced it. Uh, Congress ran out of time, but this is something that would bar the Department of Veteran Affairs from removing battlefield crosses from memorials in our national cemeteries. It may seem like a small thing, but to our veteran community, that's a big deal. We should be able to do something like that. That has nothing to do with the president. That has nothing to do uh, with this this uh, progressive agenda. Uh, this is just common sense stuff we should do. Um, doing things to to help uh, complete Route 30. I mean, these are local issues that, uh, luckily, um, you know, we have broad support from the entire Ohio delegation, Republicans and Democrats, uh, that I think we'll be able to hopefully start pushing. Um, but you're right that the national headlines and the things that are going to move the needle, it's going to be the things that, that you just highlighted. It's going to be the investigations. It's going to be things like uh, what should have been an anti-Semitism resolution uh, but turned into a, an anti-everything resolution. Um, that's unfortunately what we're going to be talking about. Uh, but while that's going on, my commitment to everybody, which is what I campaign on, is I'm going to be working. <laughs> I'm going to be doing things that are actually going to help move our community forward uh, and not continue to fuel uh, these these divides and, and uh, the chaos that is Washington D.C. Congressman, um, is this what you signed up for? Yeah, <laughs> it is. No, I look. It's it's nuts. It's uh, it's frustrating at times for sure. Uh, and I think the American people are are as frustrated as as ever. And I think they should be in many respects. Um, but that's why you sign up for this. You sign up for this to try to to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Uh, and I think that starts with with being committed to doing the actual work uh, and and not being uh, you know a, a Twitter figurehead essentially. Yeah. Well, no. I, and I hope you understood and appreciate the the, the reason for the question because I, I feel like you are a problem solver. I feel like you are somebody who wants to go in and do the right things and and to legislate uh, for for your constituents in in the 16th, but also just for the country. And you're being dragged into political fights. I think every freshman is probably getting a really really different freshman experience than they have in previous Congresses because um, it, it's so much politics. It's so so little legislation and so much politics and so much of the things that you do, you and I discussed for the last few minutes here. And I'm just wondering if this is, you know, if this is what you. 
you envisioned when you decided I'm going to run for Congress. I'm going to I'm going to try to I'm going to try to go to Washington D.C. and I'm going to try to make a difference. And then you find yourself instead of actually you know being able to work on substantive matters, uh, trying to deal with the nonstop attacks against the president from uh, uh, from uh, your colleagues on the left in this uh, you know in their in their from their majority positions, and then obviously dealing with uh, ridiculous resolutions like the one they did yesterday. Just wondering if you feel like this is what you really wanted to get yourself into, or if maybe you're hoping you'll get better as the uh, as the months in the uh, first couple of years go by? Well, you know, honestly, Bob, I think that, that we are in the midst of an ideological struggle uh, that, that I've not quite felt before in my life, uh, and that is what I got into this for. So I think we're going to decide here in the next two years and, and you know, every year, there, every election thereafter, uh, what direction we really want to go. And the reason why this is a fight that you have to have or an argument that you have to make is because of what we're actually choosing between. Like, we are literally choosing between a constitutional republic and the free market system or a full government takeover of the vast majority of our lives. Full government takeover of our energy system, full government takeover of our healthcare system, of the housing market. Like, this is literally what we're discussing. So this isn't some, you know, rhetorical game that we're playing. That's literally the battle. And so... Uh, so is it frustrating? Absolutely. But we have to win that. Like, that's a fight we have to win. Uh, and so I think there's a, a real question around how you do that and how you plot the way forward and what vision you're setting forth for, for the American people. Um, but I am so honored uh, to, to have this opportunity that the, the voters of the 16th District have provided me. Um, and I'm going to keep working on the, the day-to-day legislation, uh, but also uh, working on helping create that vision that helps us paint that contrast because it's a real contrast. This isn't Republicans and Democrats. This is full government takeover of our lives versus the ideals that allowed us to build the most prosperous and successful nation in the history of the world. That is so very, very important and very true. And uh, so many of the things in the Green New Deal that you referenced before uh, are are threatening exactly that. And uh, and we'll we'll talk more about that as we have future conversations. One more question before you go from this conversation, though, and I know you might have to jump out in a second's notice as they moved up the uh, vote time, but. Uh, uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on the president's declaration of the national emergency, the fact that the Senate, uh, Republicans in the Senate uh, are, are poised to stop that. Uh, the president, you know, we, we do have, we found out yesterday, I think yesterday and, and, and Wednesday and, and even earlier this week, that we are on pace to have more illegal crossings of our southern border than we have had in 12 years. It is a massive number, and they are not all migrant farm workers. There are a lot of really bad people crossing and bringing drugs and all kinds of other problems as well uh do you agree that it is a national emergency do you support the president declaring it as such and um and and what is what is your solution to this impasse that we're at as far as trying to stop them with or without a wall yeah it's a great question i think um you know so i voted uh, to support the president on this uh, when the resolution came to the house floor Uh, and the reason is simple it's what you said i believe there is an emergency i think it's pretty obvious Uh, believe it or not the new york times actually wrote an article talking about the human trafficking and talking about the, the turmoil that's going on down there on an individual basis, um, I was shocked that they wrote it. Uh, CNN did something similar. Again, I was, I was surprised, sort of verifying all the points that we've been making that were being discounted for the last two months. Um, and so it's clearly an emergency. Uh, we need to solve it. The thing that we're voting on or that we voted on um, 
all it would have done is invalidate the emergency. That's it. And I think that's what Senate Republicans need to understand, in my opinion, and that's why I vote against it. I don't like the idea of governing by executive order or by emergency action. I don't think that's the way that funds should be appropriated in this country. I think it's pretty clear that that's not how it should be done. But this resolution doesn't address that problem. All this resolution does is invalidate the emergency. And so uh, I'm very happy to work on how we amend the executive order process, how we amend the emergency declaration process so that you know it's, it, it's more in line with the mandates of the Constitution. I think that's a, a useful exercise we should do. But this resolution doesn't touch that. All this resolution does is say, the emergency that the president dec- declared is not, in fact, an emergency. And I don't I don't agree with that. So that was an easy vote for me. Some votes are yeah. really hard. That one was really easy for me. And the, I mean, the, the pre- you know, they're calling this unconstitutional. And as you just said, you could, you know, if you, if you want to explore, if the Congress wants to explore changing that or making that more difficult or whatever the case might be. But the way it is now, the Congress has given the president, not this president and not this Congress, but in general, uh, Congress says the president does have the power uh, and the authority to declare an emergency. And we have had no problem, Congressman Gonzalez, uh, with any of the national emergencies that have been declared by previous presidents, primarily de- having to do with other countries' calamities. We're going to declare an emergency there and, and authorize funding to to help other countries control their borders or control political unrest or control uh, natural disasters, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody's fine. President can do that. President can just say, we're spending money here because he says so. Uh, now he declares a national emergency, this one having to do with our country and protecting us and suddenly people have lost their minds we've got to change the emergency procedures here because this guy is abusing it that 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 doesn't sound like legislation to me that sounds like pure politics yeah no i I think you've you've hit the nail on the head i mean we looked into it that was our first question uh, that i asked my team is we we need to understand the constitutionality of this uh, because i believe it's an emergency but if it's unconstitutional then it's it's not something that that I can support. I, I swore an, an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. That was, That's my oath. Um, and so that was my first order of business. Let's understand the law as it's written and, and you know what powers are being used. I came to the same conclusion that you just described, which is Congress has ceded this authority. Now, I think there's another question, which is should they have? And, and that's where I would say, hey, look, if we're going to solve this, what we need to do is we need to look at the law that, it, that authorized this, not pick a fight with this president because that's not how you solve it. All you do in that world uh, is just invalidate this president's wishes. I'm not for that. But what I what I am for is reforming systems to make sure that money spent, you know, the way that Congress uh, ultimately authorizes it. If anybody wants to have that discussion, I have my hand up, let's have it. But if it's just about picking a fight with the president, I'm not on board with that. I completely concur, Congressman, and I'm really glad to hear your explanation of all of those things. Keep up the good work. Obviously, it's very early in what you uh, uh, what you are trying to do, and there are a lot of obstacles to getting a lot of great work done. But I know you do uh, well, like you said at the beginning. You've uh, you've got the approach of a workhorse, not a show horse. So we certainly appreciate that. Keep that up. Thank you. Appreciate it, Bob. Th- thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. Congressman Anthony Gonzalez, uh, Republican Congressional, uh, 16th Congressional District Representative, joining us here on AM 1420, The Answer. Of course, he succeeded Jim uh, Renacci in that office. And uh, he's. I-, I mentioned him at the top of the uh, interview. I-, I looked at his Twitter feed. It's hilarious. When you look at Anthony Gonzalez, freshman representative, his Twitter feed, he tweeted a picture of him with his wife, Three days ago, celebrating the greatest, most wonderful and patient wife a man could ever ask for. And then 
uh, earlier that day tweeted an article from the New York Times about our culture of contempt, which basically talks about the fact that the partisanship is off the rails in this country. The last tweet before that was from February 23rd. And it's a picture of a, uh, or it's a retweet, actually, of um, a man talking about how beautiful his wonderful child with Down syndrome is. Uh, February 23rd. That means he went, what, a good 10, 11 days between tweets. Compare that to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who can't go 11 seconds between tweets and trying to control the opinion of the other millennial social media users who are, have been blinded by her, um, uh, you know, her, her, her socialist ideals. It's hilarious. He's there trying to get a job done. She is there trying to take over the country. It is really, really interesting and somewhat disturbing as well. All right, it's 9.53. Let's get a timeout. Check traffic. Come back on AM 1420. All right, 9.58. Uh, short segment here, obviously, before the top of the hour. On the other side, well, first of all, on the way other side, at the bottom of the next hour, coming up at about 10.35, we're going to talk with uh, Eric Ruark from uh, Numbers USA about the problem that Anthony Gonzalez and I were just discussing, the overrunning of illegal immigrations at our southern border, and the president's pub, uh, uh, puzzling announcement that he wants to vastly increase the number of legal immigrants to join those illegal immigrants in this country, which could and will very much make it um, uh, much more difficult for Americans who are looking for jobs to get those jobs. It's kind of a strange story there from the White House. So we'll talk to um, uh, Numbers USA about that, but uh, directly on the other side of the top of the hour news, we're going to hear a montage. You're going to hear a montage that'll just make you grit your teeth and dig your fingernails into your palms with rage. Uh, listening to liberal Democrats defending Ilhan Omar and using this ridiculous resolution yesterday that they passed by a massive uh, margin to condemn all bad things, uh, to take shots at President Trump. They rally around their own, and they forget about and ignore her anti-Semitism in an attempt to simply spin this thing around and blame Donald Trump. There's a montage of audio that you're going to want to hear. Again, it's going to make you mad. But you need to hear it so you know exactly how uh, important the fight is against these demon rats. So that's coming up right after the news, which is now on AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 